The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome everyone to episode 23 of the Writer's Block podcast. I am your host, Brandon Laurie. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @brandonisright. Well, it Christmas has come and gone, but technically for the Cowboys and all Cowboys fans out there, uh, it really felt like second Christmas on Super Bowl Sunday as the Philadelphia Eagles lost to the Kansas City Chiefs by a score of 38-35 to 35 in Super Bowl 57. I need to call on reinforcements to talk about this. Uh, somebody who we ended the season on a trend of of kind of breaking curses, slaying dragons of sort of victories in uh, Cowboys land. Uh, he mentioned to me earlier that it's not really a Cowboys victory, but in essence, the Cowboys didn't lose on Sunday. So I guess that is a good thing. It is David Howman. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore DH44 underscore. Dave, thank you so much for hopping on the pod with me. Uh, initial reactions to the Super Bowl and the Eagles loss and what you took away from that game? The initial reaction is it's always fun to see the Eagles lose, um, especially on such a such a huge national stage. Um, and also, it's just kind of nice to see a team like the, the Chiefs who, you know, they've just kind of built everything around their, their phenomenal quarterback. And um, it, it doesn't really feel like the Cowboys are going to quite get to that point where they really commit to building around their quarterback the way that the Chiefs have. So it's nice to kind of live vicariously through them. You bring up a great point about building around Patrick Mahomes. And I think that I wrote an article uh, that came out on Super Bowl Sunday with regards to how the Chiefs and the Eagles kind of mapped out a blueprint that the Cowboys could follow. And I talked about this with Brandon last week on the pod. And one of the things I brought up is where does Dak Prescott fall between Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes? And I think that where he falls can honestly influence where the Cowboys should go in the offseason, what they should do to build around him. And I don't think that Dak Prescott is on the level of a Patrick Mahomes where you can have sort of sub-level wide receivers just contributing in a big game because of the fact that Patrick Mahomes is that much better of a quarterback to elevate the players around him, where Jalen Hurts needs just a little bit more help with a trade like in A.J. Brown drafting Devonta Smith. So, you know, that was my argument that he's closer to Jalen Hurts, but Patrick Mahomes goes and wins the Super Bowl with MVS, Juju as his wide receivers, Kadarius Tony from the Giants, who was a bust by all accounts as a draft pick. And he goes and wins in style. And everyone's like, oh, see, you don't need wide receivers, top flight talent to win a Super Bowl. Where do you fall? Has that kind of shifted your mindset a little bit? Or do you think the Cowboys still need to surround Dak with talent? Um, well, I think I think that 
Dak is probably a little bit closer to Mahomes, but I, I would agree that like Mahomes is just on his completely own level. You know, if, if you were to break it up into tiers, there's the Patrick Mahomes tier, and then there's everybody else is fighting for, you know, to be the second best quarterback. And that's just a testament to how great Patrick Mahomes is. And um, but I think one thing that kind of gets lost when we talk about Tyreek Hill is, I mean, they still had Travis Kelsey and realistically he was their top receiver uh, and he had a great game in the Super Bowl. But even the guys that they went out and got, like Val- Valdez Scantling was productive in Green Bay. Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, you know, a few years ago, he broke a thousand yards on the season with Pittsburgh. You know, he had been much more productive when you compare it to like what the Cowboys gave Dak this year and James Washington, who hardly played at all. Uh, Noah Brown stepping up from special teams, drafting Jalen Tolbert, and he had like two catches all year. Um, so I, I think definitely you still do need to surround him with talent. I think that the Chiefs, to some extent, even though they traded away Tyreek Hill and didn't bring in a name as big, they still committed to bringing in talent around him. And, you know, they kept their best playmaker in Travis Kelsey, and they used him probably even more than they were before. So I think it was just it was looking at what worked and how they could work around some other areas without spending all the money that they were on Tyreek Hill. A lot of people have been talking about, and there's a lot of speculation that Tony Pollard will come back to the Cowboys on the franchise tag. And one thing that I started thinking about as Super Bowl Sunday started getting rolling was both teams really have great tight ends to kind of take away or actually add um, to the offense when you have other wide receivers on the outside being taken away by the secondary. You have Travis Kelsey, of course, like you mentioned, and then Dallas Goddard. Dalton Schultz is also a free agent for the Cowboys. And while there were some positive signs from Jake Ferguson, Peyton Hendershot, couldn't you make the argument that Dalton Schultz is more of an important person to bring back because of the offense and his chemistry with Dak just for where this offense can go next year? You could definitely make that argument. And that was an argument I was making a year ago with Schultz's impending free agency. I thought that uh, I, I thought that they needed to spend whatever it took to keep him. They ultimately used the franchise tag. But I think Schultz really didn't live up to the hype this year. I think that his season was disappointing in a lot of ways. So for me, looking at that and now saying he's going to be a free agent again, like, does has he really earned the kind of contract it would take to to keep him? I'm not so sure, especially considering Jake Ferguson is now there and he had a lot of you know solid flashes and he even got a shout out from Travis Kelsey as one of the tight ends he's like most excited to see. Mentioned him in the same breath as Kyle Pitts, who was the you know generational talent tight end uh, last year's draft. So um, you know, looking at it this year after what we saw from Schultz, after the promise we saw from Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot, I think I would probably lean more towards just embracing that youth and then maybe bringing someone else in either through the draft or free agency. But I also think, you know, Schultz has shown the ability to be that kind of difference making tight end, especially as a pass catcher, but he's also really reliable as a blocker. Well, hopefully Travis Kelsey can back up his words and get Ferguson into his tight end camp with him and Kittle and all the other guys around the league. I think that would be huge just to see him take that year two jump while kind of like learning from Kelsey himself. And I mean, like I said, we we saw how great uh, he was with Patrick Mahomes um, at the Super Bowl. So again, Eagles lose. That's always fantastic. Um, But, you know, they, they made it there. And now the season is over. You know, it's officially done. 
kind of putting the the uh, the end to what was 2022. Now every team is looking forward, if not they already have, on the 2023 season. So I figured a main topic for today's episode would be sort of like an NFC East roundup, kind of looking at all teams, kind of resetting the board of where they all stand, pieces that might be coming and going, and talking about position by position, breaking down to see where the Cowboys stack up to everybody in the division. So, of course, we're going to start with the most controversial uh, topic right now, which is the quarterback position. And when you look at it, the Cowboys, of course, have Dak Prescott, but the rest of the division, there's a lot of uncertainty with regards to Washington. You know, is it going to be Sam Howell? Are they going to maybe get somebody like a Derek Carr who's going to be released uh, as this episode probably airs on Tuesday? Philly is set with Hurts. But Daniel Jones, of course, is up in the air with his contract. So you have two kind of quarterbacks that are solidified and then two are kind of up in the air. So what is your overall impression right now with the quarterback position in the NFC East? Uh, I mean, I think it's kind of the same as, as the, at the start of the year is that it's kind of a two quarterback race right now. I and mean, that's that's Dak and Hurts. Um, I, I still believe in Dak Prescott. I still think he's the best quarterback in the division. Um, I think, you know, when you look at what both the Eagles and the Cowboys did in the offseason. It's not surprising that Hertz put up better numbers than Prescott. Obviously, also, he played more games throughout the year, um, but he had much better talent around him and arguably better coaching. His offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, is going to be hired away as a head coach now because he did such a great job. Uh, Kellen Moore took a lateral position, you know, to the, to the Chargers. So um, just a better situation all around. But I think it's really those two. And then afterwards, you know, the giants had a good season out of Daniel Jones, but it's really his first year of good production. And it's curious to see how sustainable that is. And then with Washington they're, you know, if, if they're going with Sam Howell, it's like, you know, he has one game of experience so far and they're, they're going to have a new offensive coordinator next year. So it's hard to really know what you're going to expect from that. Or if they bring in a new quarterback, you know, yet again, how are they going to, How's that going to look going into next year? Um, but I think it's really just those top two. I agree that Prescott is still the number one guy. And I know like we've all talked about at nauseum is that, yes, the season didn't go as expected for Dak, but that doesn't mean that he's that type of quarterback. He's proven time and time again that he's the most consistent quarterback within the division outside of injury plagued seasons like 2020 and missing some time this year. So the statistics still back up that he's the number one guy. I think the one thing to look at is how big of a jump Hertz and Daniel Jones made this season from where they were last year and where they ended this year. And I do think that it's sort of like you have Dak at the first spot and then you have sort of a tie between Jones and Hertz. And I would give the edge to Hertz simply because he made it to the Super Bowl. I know that when you look at coaching, they both are surrounded with offensive minds with Sirianni as his head coach and then Dable, um, which we'll get into those guys later. But I know both of them are hurt still as a year on his deal on his rookie contract, but there's kind of talk about maybe you sign him now this way. You don't have to have him reset the market next year. If he exceeds expectations, makes it back to the Super Bowl. And then Daniel Jones is a free agent. Like I mentioned, which guy would you pick if you were starting a franchise? Would it be hurts or would it be Daniel Jones? Uh, it would be hurts. No question. Um, I, I, I don't believe in Daniel Jones at this point. You know, he, he, he played, easily played the best year of his career, but um, a, a lot of that was, a lot of that was Brian Dable. A lot of that was Mike Kafka, their offensive coordinator who uh, calls plays and uh, had a, a few head coaching interviews this year. Um, and a lot of it was just based around not making Daniel Jones 
go out there and save the day. You know, he, he had a lot of underneath throws. He had a lot of quick reads. Uh, a lot of it was Saquon Barkley coming back to form and having a great year. So um, then, then you look at Jalen Hurts and, you know, he, he made some developments as a passer, but he also, the Eagles were just so committed to using his legs and that just opens up so much more uh, for that offense and for him as a, as a player. So I think he's much more dynamic, but then also, like you said, with the contract situation, you know, you're going to have to make that decision at some point. And the other thing to consider is he wasn't a first round pick. So you don't even have that, that fifth year option, which of course the giants declined for Daniel Jones before this season. So that kind of accelerates the clock a little bit more than normal for the Eagles compared to most quarterbacks where you have to make that decision. And we know how sometimes that when you give the quarterback a huge contract, it could help you in a way where you know what the quarterback's making, you know, for six, seven years, like a Patrick Mahomes when he signed the 10 year deal, a Josh Allen. But the thing is, you're also struggling to get talent around him the minute you pay a quarterback. That's why a lot of these guys, especially the Cowboys, when they were trying to maximize Prescott and his rookie deal, that's why they were trying to get, you know, past that playoff push for them. So it'll be. Interesting to see where these quarterbacks stack up this time next season, Um, because even then, you know, if the Cowboys kind of fall off a cliff, Prescott might be out of the division, you know, next year if the Cowboys opt out of his contract or don't extend him this year. So it'll be interesting. The other one is the running back position. And when I was looking and looking at the names, the only one who's really a guarantee right now, and it's a kind of a big if as well, too, is Brian Robinson in Washington. But outside of that, the Cowboys have decisions to make between Elliott and re-signing Pollard. Philly has Miles Sanders as a free agent and the Giants have Barkley as a free agent. So you have three teams within this division that have high caliber running backs, but they have to make a move and figure out, are they going to be with them for the long term or are they going to have to kind of reset the clock and see, okay, are we just going to go back to the draft or maybe sign a low budget free agent to pair with a late round rookie? Um, The Cowboys, starting with that, like I said, Pollard is most likely getting the tag. Does that mean that now Elliott is gone or you think that they will keep Elliott and Pollard and then maybe just, you know, roll with Malik Davis as their third guy? I think it's probably likely that that Zeke will take some sort of pay cut to, to really lower that cap hit, especially with if Pollard does get the franchise tag, because that's a, a big number all guaranteed this one year. Um, I just I know I know that the Cowboys, they, they want to keep Pollard and also Jerry Jones just you know he gets certain players that he just loves and will never get rid of them that's why for so long people thought they would never cut Jalen Smith and it was a huge shock when they actually did because that was one of those players that Jerry just loved and Zeke is the same way um to to a larger extent too because he's had so much success and in a lot of ways has been sort of one of the faces of this franchise since he got drafted in 2016 so I would be really surprised if uh, either Pollard or Zeke wasn't playing for the Cowboys next year. One yeah, way. yeah. I think, I think it really would come down to where does Schottenheimer and McCarthy feel that it's best for their scheme and where their offense is at. And again, Elliott still had a really solid year. He had 12 touchdowns, over 800 yards, and he didn't look as explosive. But that's still an offensive weapon that the Cowboys could use. And especially with the veteran experience, you know, pairing him with Dak, he knows the offense. So especially when it comes time to reshuffle things around now that Kellen Moore is gone, having somebody like Elliott that already knows a lot of the foundation of what this offense is, it is beneficial and Pollard as well. Um, But I think it'll be interesting to see what that number is if the pay cut you know, is offered to Zeke? Is it going to be somewhere where they say, listen, you need to go down to $6 million a year? 
or is it going to be something where they say, listen, we need it to be three or else you're walking out. And I think that the front office and him have a great relationship. I know there was the holdout early on in to get this contract extension, but I do think regardless, they do have a really good relationship. He is Jerry Jones's guy just as much as Pollard is. So I do think that they will both be back. It really is just dependent on the price. Um, and I think that that is the same exact thing for the Giants with regards to Barkley and same with the Eagles with Sanders. I think we're living in a world now where these large contracts that are offered to running backs is going to be non-existent. You're going to see probably if they are drafted in the first round, like a Najee Harris, somebody who hasn't really lived up to expectations, they might draft a guy like a, even a B. John Robinson that's coming out of this year's draft. Keep them for five years with that fifth-year option and then just reshuffle everything again the following year. This way you can maximize five years on a great running back and then just pair him with somebody, and the value is high, but the price tag is low. So with Barkley and Sanders, do you see either one going back to the team or you think both of them are moving on? I, I think probably Barkley's going to stay with the Giants. Um, I just I think they're probably going to end up committing to both Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley at this point um, because they both had – uh, not necessarily career years in the case of Barkley, but they both had incredibly productive years. The Giants so massively overperformed their preseason expectations. I feel like they're kind of kind of backed themselves into a corner where you can you can't say like, oh, we we did so well. Our coach won Coach of the Year. Now, you know these our two biggest stars on offense. We're just going to cut them loose. Um, so I would imagine Saquon is going to be back in New York. Uh, Miles Sanders is going to be a little more interesting, especially because the Eagles have you know, a pretty good track run of, of being able to get those running backs in the middle rounds, being able to find them in, in free agency and, you know, get, get a lot of production without committing, you know, heavy resources to the position. So um, I don't know what, what kind of market there would be for Miles Sanders, um, but I, I imagine that they wouldn't be overpaying or, or spending the kind of money that the Giants probably will have to for Saquon. Looking at the running back position throughout the division, which one would you say has the best running back core? I know there's a lot of in kind of uncertainty right now, but you could even say Jalen Hurts is sort of part of the Eagles running game and having him as a weapon, especially, you know, having 70 yards in the Super Bowl and everything like that. Which one would you put as the top dog? Um, well, for best rushing attack total, probably the Eagles. But a lot of that is, like you said, because Jalen Hurts is so dynamic as a runner. Um as far as just the the running back group, I think if Saquon Barkley stays in New York, I think it's the Giants. If not, um, and even then, like a close second for me would be Washington. Mm. You mentioned Brian Robinson. They also have Antonio Gibson, who's uh, you know ha hasn't stayed healthy all the time, but when he's out there, he's he's pretty dangerous. Um, and you know, I mean, they the running game has been their identity offensively since Ron Rivera got there. And, they've had some success with that. It's really been the only way that their offense has been <laughs> success. And they have some good running backs. They have a good run scheme. And um, I, I like the pieces they have there. Yeah. Breaking down Washington, uh, there's going to be a common theme here uh, that certain positions are either top of the line or certain positions are just basement level talent. Um, and that's the same thing transitioning to the wide receiver and tight end position, kind of putting the skill positions together. When you look at Washington's, trio between Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and then also Jahan Dotson as a rookie outside of maybe Philadelphia to me. I mean, Philadelphia has AJ Brown and Devonta Smith, and those are both great wide receivers, but having that third guy as like a, either a Curtis Samuel or Jahan Dotson, depending on where you put two and three, 
I would think that Washington has the better core of wide receivers right now out of the division. When I was when I was thinking through the the, the teams, I put Philly just narrowly ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is AJ Brown is just so good, Devontae Smith is so good, um, and Dallas Goddard too is is re- really really talented. Uh, I mean, some that one catch where they reviewed it, he caught it twice. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's pretty impressive. Um, I think. For, it, it was kind of tough going between those two. And then it was also tough picking between the Cowboys and the Giants as to who was worse. Um, <laughs> but it, I think it was definitely kind of, you know, the two at the top and then the two at the bottom. Um, I think for the record, I do think the Cowboys are a little bit better than the Giants right now with that wide receiver and tight end group. Um, CD Lamb does a lot of the heavy lifting there right now, but um, definitely Philly and Washington have the better pass catching weapons at the moment. Yeah, I, I, when I put down CeeDee Lamb's name, it's like it, either this season, next season, you know, they're going to have to decide whether or not he's going to get a contract extension. For the Giants, they have to mull over if Isaiah Hodgins is going to be getting a contract <laughs> extension. And, and even Darius Slayton's a free agent, too. So that's what they're working with. And I do agree that the Cowboys, this time last year, we were looking, and even actually the year before that, going into the 2021 season, you know, it was Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb. Like, there was no question that the Cowboys had the best wide receiver core in this division and maybe even in the NFL with just young up and coming talent. And now you look at it, like you said, the way we're stacking it up, they're third and could be fourth, depending on if the giants actually make a push, they don't sign anybody like a Kenny Galladay anymore. They actually know what they're doing with free agents at the wide receiver position. And Dallas could be looking at, you know, from the bottom up. And that is a world where it is scary given that the way that this season ended, especially with, Dak Prescott's 2019 season when they traded for Amari Cooper, the 18 season. So I I don't know where they're going to go with free agency. Jerry Jones mentioned that the OBJ talks are going to be very active again in free agency. So that's going to be exciting to to write about when it doesn't happen. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, they have proven to trade a first round pick for Amari Cooper and other guys in the past. But I don't know what the best route is. You get maybe a veteran guy in to pair with CD, but CD is now in that range where he is the veteran on the team. So then do you draft a first round pick at wide receiver? And then this way you kind of have two guys together together for the foreseeable future, instead of paying a lot to a free agent. Um, So if Dallas was to make that jump to either a number one or number two spot in the division, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, I mean, the best way is to go out and get a established veteran that can upgrade that group. And I mean, uh, at, at the the Pro Bowl games, you know Trayvon Diggs kept talking about how he wants his brother to come play in Dallas, and I don't know where Stefan is at with wanting to stay in Buffalo. You know he's he's done nothing but win since he got to the Bills, but if that was a situation where you could get Stefan Diggs or you could get another player kind of of that caliber, that's a pretty significant jump because then at that point you're looking at you know two established names in C.D. Lamb and Diggs or whoever it else might be. And then it's kind of a question of, well, if Michael Gallup can return to form, then he's another really great receiver. Or if Jalen Tolbert can, you know, do what the Cowboys thought he was going to do. Or maybe you draft somebody that turns out to be really good. Noah Brown can be reliable to some degree, even if he shouldn't be the second wide receiver on your team. You know, there's you have so much more flexibility with the wide receiver position if you have an, an established name like that. Um, that you can go out and get similar to the Eagles with A.J. Brown, where then it's Devontae Smith coming off a great rookie year, and then you pair him with a guy that's 
automatically going to make life easier for Smith and for the quarterback. I think that's the quickest way to to upgrading this receiver room in a meaningful way. The hope is that, you know, Jerry Jones admitted in Mobile that they bet, I think, a little too much on Michael Gallup's health being back to 100% as soon as possible. And then Jalen Tolbert's develop, I, development. And I do think that if one of them hit, the Cowboys would have been significantly better. If Michael Gallup was healthier and back to his explosive self, great. We might be talking about a different thing right now. Um, and then Jalen Tolbert developing into a really good player. Maybe Michael Gallup's rookie season as his ceiling. But the fact that both of them kind of flopped, I think that really set the Cowboys back this season and going into next year, it would be great for both of them to take that leap, but you have to have one kind of take that leap. And then you need something else. You can't just bank again on both of them saying, okay, you know, last year was, was a little asterisk this year. They are going to be better. No, you, you can't do that. And I think that you heard CD lamb. He was on um, an around the NFL podcast and he said, listen, like we need talent. We need guys. Um, it was, I think with the Amari Cooper trade, it caught the locker room off guard. And the minute you start having a little bit more turmoil in the locker room, especially with core guys like a CD lamb, that are going to be up for a contract. You want to make them as happy as possible and get back to the Super Bowl. And I think that is the quickest way with the wide receiver position. So I do think that bringing a free agent in, whether it's via trade or a signing is great. Um, if it's OBJ. So be it. Let's see. Let's let's get it rolling. I mean, we've talked about it already so much. Like, can we just have it happen so that we can actually just say, okay, we already talked about it so much. Let's just rehash all those articles again. The offensive line is interesting because, again, 2016, 2014, Dallas has, was at the top of this list for a long time. Philly, I think, has supplanted Dallas at that spot because of how dominant their offensive line is. But they do have a few shuffling pieces. Jason Kelsey, we don't know if he's going to be retiring. Uh, Lane Johnson is going to be going uh, undergoing surgery on his um, on his whatever muscle he was playing through. I mean, the guy's a warrior. I give him a lot of credit for that. But you don't know how long that recovery time frame, time frame is going to be. Um, and the Cowboys, they are a little bit older now. They have a mix of youth, but you have a guy like Tyron Smith who's still on the team. Don't know what his contract's going to be. Zach Martin's getting older. Um, and then outside of that, you have a rookie that's going into year two with Tyler Smith. Tyler Biotish is going into year four and Terrence Steele is going to try and make his way back, you know, health wise. So there are a lot more question marks on Dallas's offensive line right now than I think there's ever been in the past. So where out of this division, do you feel most comfortable kind of putting your eggs in the basket of the offensive line? Is it with Dallas, Washington, Philly, or New York? For me, it's still Philly. Um, and, and largely just because they've been so great for such a long time. You know, the Cowboys for, for a few seasons, you know, over the last 10 years or so have had, you know, the most dominant line in a given year, but the Eagles have consistently been top five, like for that entire time. Um, part of that is coaching and their offensive line coach, Jeff Stoutland is widely regarded as one of, if not the very best offensive line coach in the NFL. And it's hard to argue with the results. I mean, you know, Lane Johnson's been playing at such a high level for such a long time, same with Jason Kelsey. But then they also find these other names like uh, like Jordan Mailata, who came into the NFL, had hardly any experience and has turned into not only a serviceable, but a very, very good left tackle. Uh, Isaac Samalu uh, has also been in the NFL for a while and was mostly a backup until he got to Philly and then has filled in very nicely. So I, I just think they have a very proven program with their offensive line. And, you know, even with some of those questions, it's... You know, you, you kind of go back and say, well, they 
it, it, they haven't gone wrong yet. Like they're probably going to stay at that level. They're probably going to still be very successful. Whereas the Cowboys are dealing with as much, if not more questions. And they're also bringing in a new offensive line coach in Mike Solari. So, you know, there's, that's just one more level of uncertainty there. And then you have Washington and New York. And I think both of them, they have certain pieces that are good. I would say the Giants are better because they have the bookends of an Andrew Thomas and an Evan Neal at tackle. And then you just build from the inside. And they do have a couple young guys, but other free agents that they that they brought in. It really was a patchwork group uh, to get to the playoffs this season. But I do think that the weakest link of Washington is the quarterback position. But I think number two would be their offensive line. They just haven't really hit on a lot of guys. I know Eric Flowers was there for a little bit um, after going from the Giants in Miami. And he seemed to be doing really well for them. And then he left uh, them. So it just seems like Brandon Sheriff has been the only one that they drafted and was able to develop into an elite right guard. And then he just left or left guard rather. Um, So he's in Jacksonville now. So. For Washington, do you think that they take the and I know it's not the Washington podcast, but what would what would you say? Because I know there's a lot of uncertainty with Ron Rivera, you know what they're doing on offense. Um, is it, you know, follow the Giants model of just bringing a bunch of guys in from free agency and just see, you know, what hits or do you just continually drafting maybe in the first round because they have a higher pick than they normally do? Um, I mean, I think a lot of it just depends on where they're going to go with their offensive coordinator spot right now, because um, I mean, I think the last I saw that the two names most closely associated is chiefs offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, and then um, former Ravens offensive coordinator, Greg Roman. Yeah. And just from a offensive philosophy standpoint, that's two very, very different schemes. Greg Roman is like, just run it down your throat. A lot of, you know, gap power blocking schemes and the enemy coming from Andy Reid and the chiefs, it's, you know, a lot of spread West Coast principles, a lot of zone blocking. And so I think first you got to figure out, like, what is your offense going to look like from a system standpoint, um, especially if Sam Howell is going to be the quarterback, like how are you going to build it around, you know, his skill set? Um, and then everything else kind of just goes from there. But I think, you know, Washington has some pieces. And in the past, they've had some pretty good offensive lines. But, um, you know, they they are clearly still building – and your quarterback is the biggest question. And then offensive line is probably the next big question after that. Opposite of offensive line in the trenches is the defensive line. And I would say that the two best ones in the division would be Washington and Philly. And you could flip flop them however you want. I know Philly's coming off of historic season um, with 70, 70 regular season sacks and But I do think that they have uh, a lot of questions with their veteran leaders. And I do think that comparing Philly and Washington, Philadelphia is more of a veteran proven talent along the defensive front. And then Washington is, you know, the young guns, the young bucks. And with Philadelphia, you know, is Fletcher Cox going to retire, you know, for just thinking about where he is at his age um, and with the team. And then, you know, you have Javon Hargrave. Uh, He's a free agent. Robert Quinn, uh, they made that trade and he just kind of like disappeared. It was just like he he made it to the Super Bowl and didn't really do anything for it. But, you know, are they going to cut him from his contract? And then you have the Cowboy killer, Brandon Graham, you know, who might be retiring as well. So they do have a lot of aging players that you're kind of unsure of where it's going to sit this time next year. As opposed to Washington, I think Deron Payne is a free agent. But outside of that, you still have Jonathan Allen. You still have Chase Young as well. So both of these these defensive fronts, 
um, are very good. Dallas is as well, but I think there's a little bit more questions at the defensive tackle position. So looking at Washington and Philly first, because I think those are the top two. And if you disagree, please, by all means, tell me I'm wrong. Uh, but break those two down and where you think um, we'll, we'll look at and seeing as the number one spot this time next year if certain people leave, come and go. Well, I, I do hate to disagree with you, but I actually had Dallas as with the best defensive line. Okay, um, I like it. I, I will never disagree with Dallas being number one. So, <laughs> um, And, I mean, you make some really good points about both Philly and Washington. They do have some really good defensive lines. I think um, really what it came down to for me was that the Cowboys' defensive line the last two years have been so, so effective, especially at rushing the passer, and also to that aspect – a lot of that is Micah Parsons, who for the purpose of this exercise, I'm including as a defensive lineman because that's where he spends most of his time. And I, I just looked at it. Demarcus Lawrence is one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL. He's an elite pass rusher. He's, he's an elite run stopper. And then you have Micah Parsons, who I think is the best defensive player, one of the best overall players in the entire NFL. So between those two, and then they have some talent between the other guys, to me, that just puts them ahead, especially because, you know, the Eagles have all the production, but like you said, they're getting up there in age. There's going to be some questions, might be some retirements from some of those guys. And then with Washington, you know, Deron Payne's a free agent. Um, you know, Chase Young is, like his name says, young, but he also hasn't really performed the way he did his rookie year. You know, he, he took a step back his sophomore season in this past year. He was injured. He missed most of the year. And when he came back, he didn't quite look the same. Obviously, you know, there's a ramp up process there. But I think there are some some questions with that that defensive line still going forward. They still have to to gel. And especially if Payne goes somewhere else in free agency, um, not necessarily saying that the defensive line is going to fall apart without him. But that is just one more question in terms of reaching that kind of consistency that Washington had back in uh 2020 when they had just had this dominant defense that started up in the trenches for them. Um, so that's, that's the rationale for me that led to putting the Cowboys at number one. Although I'm sure I'll be accused by someone of just being a homer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I don't disagree with any of your points. Like I said, I will never go against the Cowboys, the dark horse. I really, I, I, and we didn't talk about them yet is the giants. I think that they can make an argument for being number one. They can also make an argument for being number four because they also have young players. Kayvon Thibodeau, rookie season, uh, Aziz Ojolari in was in his second season. And then Dexter Lawrence is just a monster uh, at defensive tackle. And when you look at those three guys, I mean, if they just add one more piece, whether it's through free agency or a rookie, um, like a high draft pick, I think they could make a case for being one of the more like sort of boomer bust uh, defensive lines, not only in the division, but also in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the Giants, I definitely think that they're probably like the worst of the bunch, but I think that's kind of a by default thing. It's not that they're they're bad on the defensive line and they have a lot of really talented players. They also have Leonard Williams, who didn't quite have as good of a year this year as he has in the past, but he's he's pretty effective. And then I also got to give some love to their rookie, DJ Davidson, who's from my alma mater, Arizona State. So in my opinion, he's the best player on their team. Um, so uh, he he's... He's really good. He's great. Y'all are going to find out about him later, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I think I think New York, uh, as far as their defensive line goes, they're they're in good shape. But part of that is just it, it's still kind of coming together and coalescing, especially with 
Kayvon Thibodeau, he kind of got off to a slow start early in his rookie year. Um, but they definitely have a lot of pieces, and they could have a really, really formidable pass rush going forward. I trust your take with the Arizona State player because you've been right about so many things this year. I, I will never doubt – uh, whatever you say, uh, I believe it 100% uh, because your track record speaks for itself. The linebacker position, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. I mean, by all means, if you found a player that is great and flashes a lot more, by all means, talk about it. But if Leighton Vander Esch is not back in Dallas, I mean, if he is back to me, that this puts Dallas at the number one spot. But outside of that, I think this position group is the weakest across the board between Dallas, Washington, Philly, and New York, simply if we're taking Micah Parsons and putting him in that conversation with defensive line. Yeah, and this was this was easily the hardest one for me to like actually sit there and rank because most of these teams, you know, they they either have pending free agents or they don't really have anything set at that position. And with Dallas, it's it's especially difficult because you know, Leighton Vander Esch had such a productive year. Anthony Barr had, you know, some ups and downs, but he was overall a net positive. They're both pending free agents. And so then you say, okay, well, you know, Damone Clark looked really good when he came in and played as, you know, are, but are you going to rely on him coming off his rookie year? You know, with the, especially with the spinal surgery, you know, just recently before his rookie year. And then also Jabril Cox coming in and there's been a lot of hype for him, but he hardly got on the field. So it's, it's just kind of, the, the Cowboys have some pieces in place to where they could move on from one or both of their veterans from this year. But at the same time, it's it's still somewhat of an unknown commodity. I think definitely if they bring Van Der Esch back, they're probably the best linebacker core right now. But again, there's just so many questions. And until we really you know, get into free agency and see what those groups look like, it's kind of you know coin flip at this point. And I think the linebacker position is making a case to be the one of the more important pieces on a defense. And I know it's cliche, you know, it's the middle of the defense, but I think it's been underappreciated because of the fact that, you know, it, it's been very pass heavy league, you know, secondary players, you want to be elite ball hawking secondary players. Um, but the linebackers in the Super Bowl specifically, Nick Bolton had a phenomenal game for the Chiefs and, you know, Willie Gay as well. Uh, they had one other guy, uh, um, Chanel, I think, is the the guy's name for the Chiefs. Um, very, very good with regards to tackling, going against the run. Even in Dallas, we saw Vander Esch take a huge step forward because he was able to play really well um, behind the defensive line and the defensive tackle like a Jonathan Hankins. So I think that if any of these teams takes a huge step forward in the linebacking core and really puts an effort, and I know Washington, Jamin Davis um, is somebody that they drafted and hasn't really turned into sort of the player that he was coming out of college. But, you know, even if he takes a step forward, whichever one of these teams can get a really solid middle linebacker and then kind of get maybe two or three guys around that that are very good, I think you'll see they'll elevate their defensive play and be a little bit better in that category. And looking at the secondary, I think each one of these teams could use one more guy. I think each one of them has like a guy at the starting cornerback position, but then outside of that, they don't really have anybody else. And I know Philadelphia is coming off a great season with their secondary, but James Bradbury, he's a free agent. Chauncey Gardner Johnson uh, is also a free agent. So it's like, are they going to run it back with the team? I know Bradbury mentioned he might go back to New York, which would be absolutely insane. Um, but where do you feel like each team would need help in the secondary and, and even talking about the safety position as well like are they one cornerback away one safety away maybe two pieces away what would you say well I think with, with talking about just the Cowboys I mean they 
obviously the big question is cornerback, you know, and, and they probably have their answer in Deron Bland and they kind of saw down the stretch, he can play outside, he can play inside. But then uh, beyond that, you know, Dan Quinn was trying all these different solutions and eventually he found one that stuck with, uh, you know, Israel Mukwamu kind of play in a hybrid safety slot position. And that seemed to work. But at the same time, you know, going into this offseason, Donovan Wilson, his contract's up. So are you going to go ahead and pay him? How much is it going to cost to keep him? And if you do end up letting him walk out the door, then that's a role for Mukwamu to step into. And then you're back to square one at corner. You know, what are you going to do? So Anthony Brown's contract is up and they kind of need to decide, you know, do we want to bring him back again? He'll probably be, you know, a fairly cheap contract if they do opt to go that route. Jordan Lewis also, uh, you know, he has one year left, but I know that he has, they have an out in his contract after this season. So it's kind of a question of, you know, if do we want to bring Bland, have him outside and Lewis back in the slot or, you know, what are you going to do with that? So there's, there's some uncertainty at the corner position, but I also think it's worth watching safety with, with Wilson and, you know, where he's going to be, because I think if he does make it to the open market and the Cowboys don't re-sign him before they get to that point, he's probably going to command a pretty large bidding war and they might not be able to win that. So if Bradbury leaves and Gardner Johnson leaves, does that mean Dallas is the number one position group in this division or did you already have them at number one? Um, I, I already had them at number one, but it, it was a pretty close one. I think um, part of it was just the, the players that Cow- the Cowboys do have, you know, that are that play at a really high level, like Bland, like Trayvon Diggs, like, um, you know, J. Ron Kurtz is another huge one, and he's been so great the last two years. And Malik Hooker has been quietly really, really effective. Um, I just think that you know, the questions that they do have, they have so many more answers right now. And with the Eagles, you know, there, there's, those are two impact players in Bradbury and Gardner Johnson. And then, uh, you know, the Eagles are also one of those teams that always is looking to potentially kind of move a player before it's time to move on from them. You know, they want, they would rather move on a little too early than a little too late. So I'm wondering if they might even have some discussions about Darius Slay too, because he's kind of, getting up there in age two, maybe they look for a youth movement in their secondary with all those, uh, all those other players coming to the end of their contract. But um, I think just in terms of outlook for next season and on the long term, the Cowboys are probably in the best shape in the secondary right now. I'm going to put my uh, Halman hat on as making a bold prediction. And I, I, you should trademark that. Just make a t-shirt, something, uh, <laughs> you know, get, get, get money for that. Uh, I, I'm telling you guys, go back and read his stuff, read his articles besides the Leighton Van Rash one. Uh, you know, he's been right about almost everything. So please check it out. Uh, I feel like if Jalen Ramsey is not with the Rams next season, if he's released or they're looking just to kind of trade him, um, I feel like he's going to end up in the NFC East and whether that's with the Cowboys, Washington, Philly, New York, They've been each of these teams has shown that they're willing to take on a big name free agent, uh, a big contract. Not so much with the Cowboys. Brandon Carr was the last time that they did that and, and offered a huge contract to, to a cornerback um, in free agency. But the other three teams, they've shown that they can sign guys like a Bradbury, uh, trade for guys like a Darius Slay. Washington had Josh Norman a few years ago. So I think that just Jalen Ramsey right now is a name that's floating around, even maybe like a Marcus Peters. One of these guys, I think, outside of the Rams will end up in this division. 
Do you agree with me or not? I I like it. I could see it happening. Um, personally, I'm trying to manifest Jalen Ramsey to the Cowboys. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Just you know, don't get your hopes up. But I I'm going to be doing my best to manifest that this off season. All right. That hey, listen, you and me both. Uh, I think, and and the tea leaves are there where um, I think him and Trayvon Diggs interacted on social media. Now with every player, it's like we all comb through their social media to see who they follow, don't follow, who they comment on. So uh, take that for what you will. And on the bright side too, with Ramsey, if he's on the Cowboys, he doesn't have to worry about getting beat so bad by Michael Gallup that he has to ask for a non non-existent offensive pass interference. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I like that's, it. That's my pitch to him. Yeah, I think you should write that out uh, either maybe like in a letter, uh, put that little <laughs> wax seal on it and send it uh, to L.A. and see what he thinks. Uh, the head coaching position, I think, you know, coming off of the Super Bowl, a lot of people would put Sirianni as number one, Dable one coach of the year. Rivera has been to a Super Bowl more recently than a Mike McCarthy. So outside noise would say McCarthy and Rivera are the uh, guys outside looking in. You have your your awesome article series, the McCarthy Chronicles, uh, where you talk about, you know, a lot of things regarding Mike McCarthy. Where do you stand with him in this division? Do you think that he's now behind Sirianni because Sirianni has gone to the Super Bowl more recently? Or are you still putting McCarthy above all these guys just because of his proven experience? Uh, I'm still putting him at the top of the NFC East right now, I think. Definitely the the closest to him in my mind is Brian Dable, um, and and I was I was honestly a little upset that the Giants hired him because it's such a smart move. He's such a good coach, and he proved it right right away in his first year. Um, and I think he very much has the potential to become not only the best coach in this division, but one of the best coaches in the entire league. Uh, and we'll kind of we'll see what what happens, especially with the pivotal decisions they have at quarterback and running back right now. But I'm still riding high on McCarthy. I think, I think my opinion of him goes up even more now that he's going to be calling plays again, because that was really his bread and butter back when he was an offensive coordinator. Like that's, that's where he made his name. That's where he got the Packers job in the first place. And he won a Super Bowl, you know, and he was the, the offensive play caller when he was in green Bay, when he won the Super Bowl. So I think, um, you know, taking taking control of the offense again is just kind of right back in his wheelhouse. I think he's going to be just a little bit more comfortable in his own skin now um, and obviously already has a lot of familiarity with Dak Prescott with the rest of this offense. So uh, I think we're definitely going to see him. I don't know if necessarily like take the next step because, you know, he's had two really good seasons, you know, the first, you know, consecutive 12 win seasons this century for the Cowboys. So, um, but I think it, it will be just a step up for him because that's what he's used to. That's where he's really locked in, where he's at his best. Um, and then with regards to the other two coaches, you know, Ron Rivera, I think very highly of him, but I think probably at this point, the game has kind of passed him by. He's still kind of that Jason Garrett mindset of like, we want to run the ball, you know, 30 times. We're going to get that auto win when our running back hits 20 carries in a game. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't think that he's adapted properly to the, the NFL as it's changed. And then with Sirianni, uh, I, I'm I'm very, very much on record of believing that he's kind of been carried by his coaching staff, um, which is somewhat evident in the fact that, 
you know, his offensive coordinator is getting the Colts head coaching job by all accounts. And his defensive coordinator is one of the two finalists for the Cardinals head coaching job. Um, so I, I think that just speaks to the level of quality of his coaching staff. And, uh, you know, I, I, maybe I'll be proven wrong after those guys depart, but I think based on everything that is available to us to, to view and consume, I think he's probably just really, really lucky to have great coordinators that, that operate within the system, within the players that they have. I think you can go in a couple different directions and you mentioned a great point. I'll start with this one, how Mike McCarthy is going to be calling the plays and that actually makes you more excited uh, because I think by all accounts, that's exactly why he was brought here. You know, a lot of people have been talking about that. The reason why Mike McCarthy kept Kellen Moore on staff was because, uh, you know, he wanted the continuity for Dak Prescott, the offense, the language. And now he knows what the offense is. He knows how what things work for Dak, what things don't, and he can meld it with his offensive system and Brian Schottenheimer. And when you look at Dable and Sirianni, they were first-time head coaches that were brought in here with an emphasis on offense. They didn't have any experience prior to that. And McCarthy and Rivera were sort of brought in with the fact that they were Super Bowl-winning head coaches or Rivera going to a Super Bowl. So they haven't had as much involvement with the team with what they are foundationally, which is offense and defense. And now that Mike McCarthy is going to be more involved, you mentioned Sirianni with both of his coordinators possibly leaving. You're going to really see this season for both coaches what they're made of. Sirianni for his offense, and both of them have a huge influence on what the offense is for the Eagles and then the Cowboys. But Mike McCarthy, like you said, this is his time. Like this is he has proven to be a great offensive play caller in this league and at one at a successful level. So I think that excites me a lot to see where he will go with Dak improving him, the offense. And listen, if it falls on its face, you move on and then you get some young gun uh, the following year, maybe from the uh, Eagles coaching staff, if, if that's what the Cowboys want to do. So I think it'll be interesting to see. And then same for Rivera. I think this is a make or break year for him as well. And um, if it doesn't go well within the first six games, he might be the first head coach that's let go. And I think the one that's the safest out of all of them is stable because it's new. And then, of course, Sirianni, given that he just got out of, um, you know, going to a Super Bowl. On, on that end, though, I would say, you know, Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, you know, not too long ago in Philly. And then only a couple years later, he ends up getting fired. So the Eagles are kind of unique in that situation. Um, also with their quarterback situation, you know, Carson Wentz was the second overall pick. They gave him a huge contract extension. And then, you know, just a few years after that, they they got rid of him. So they're, they're one of those teams that's like they, they're not really, even if they make a real commitment to someone, they're never really committed that for that long. So, you know, maybe if things really just fall apart under Sirianni, he might not actually, you know, be all that safe. But I think in New York, it's kind of a different situation because not only do you have Dable and he, you know, he had such a good first year, but also their new GM also came over from Buffalo, you know, working with Dable. So it's kind of a package deal with those two. And I think um, just the, the early moves that they've made in their first year seem really promising for that franchise. Um, and then, you know, with, with Ron Rivera, I, I think he, this is kind of a make or break year. And also it's kind of up in the air with potential ownership change for that franchise. A lot of times when owners, new ownership comes in, they say, well, we're going to bring in our, our own people. And sometimes it doesn't even matter how good the coach is or where their momentum is taking them. They just want someone that they hired instead of somebody else's leftovers. 
i.e. the Denver Broncos uh, uh, on that one. Uh, in the essence of Valentine's Day, when this episode airs, uh, the Eagles would make a terrible uh, partner in a relationship because they do have commitment issues, as uh, Hammond pointed out. So they're willing to move on when things are great. And when things start going bad, uh, they're like, no, we're just going to do a clean break. So uh, in the essence of Valentine's Day, nobody wants to date an Eagle. So just keep that in mind. So looking at a final ranking, if you know, looking at the 2023 season and we can assess this mid season. We'll have you on. We'll look at the rankings, compare it. Um, where would you stack it up? All four teams, one through four. Um, I, I have uh, Dallas at the top and Philly right behind them at number two. And then probably after that, but with some space between them is, is the giants and then um, the commanders. Would you say that because of the Philly uncertainty with regards to continuity with coordinators and everything like that, is that what separated it for you? Or like, why did you choose Philly as number two, as opposed to Dallas being number one? Again, no bias necessary for this. It's a very smart and intelligent decision. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not even a fan of either of these teams. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that even got brought up. Um, but no, I mean, part of it is just I all season. I thought that the Cowboys were a better team than the Eagles. And I am kind of bummed that we never got to see the Dak Prescott Cowboys play the Jalen Hurts Eagles, because uh, that would have been really interesting to see how that game goes. But I mean, you, you know, you look at the Eagles, even just in the playoffs, you know, they they beat the Giants, who they had beat two times earlier in the year, and who, you know, they were a good story. But also, when you look at like efficiency ratings and everything, they were the second worst team in the playoffs, and the worst team was the Vikings, who the Giants beat in the playoffs. So, um, you know, it's just kind of interesting so the Eagles beat them and then they go against the 49ers and they end up playing their fourth string quarterback for most of that game they beat them and then they get to the Super Bowl and they lose to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs who were you know just just great all season so to me I think the, the fact that they just got to the Super Bowl doesn't really change my perception of them too much I think they had probably an easy ride to this game um, and I think then you know you you talk about like Super Bowl hangover and regression, and it's so hard for a team to make it back to the Super Bowl unless you're Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. Um, so I, I just think the Cowboys are probably in a better better position right now. David Hellman, great life partner because he's not in the honeymoon phase of letting uh, the good things um, dictate how he feels about a certain relationship with the Eagles or the Cowboys. So uh, your logic is sound. I completely agree with it. No flaws in it whatsoever. I want to mention as well to RJ uh, told me that we will not be having a roundtable, given that it is Valentine's Day. A lot of you guys and girls are going to be busy with a lot of dates. So we will uh, put put that off until next week. And um, just a quick shout out to uh, my wife for Valentine's Day. Uh, love her to death. She is my rock. She is my everything. So I would be uh, sleeping on the couch if I didn't mention that her in this episode, even though she won't listen to it, which is okay, but somehow, some way it'll get back to her that I didn't mention her in Valentine's day. So uh, I'll throw it to you, Dave, anybody special in your life you want to just give a shout out to. Yeah. I, uh, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my, my partner, Sarah, who also probably is not listening to this, but uh, if she does, she's going to be very happy to, to get that shout out. And um, so, uh, you know, she is, she's very supportive of me throughout the season and always puts up with me both when I'm, just absolutely out of my mind crazy about the Cowboys win and when I'm just, you know, beside myself after a loss. Look how special we are as as men in our relationships. We have uh, such a strong uh, feeling that our 
you know, significant others are not going to listen to this episode, but we still have to give them a shout out as well. That's so special. That does it for the Writer's Block podcast. Uh, you can follow Dave on Twitter at underscore DH44 underscore. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon is right. For David Hellman, I am Brandon Laurie. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Writer's Block. Happy Valentine's Day to you all. And as always, go Cowboys. 